The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 17th chapter. Jesus prayed, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this self-declared one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, it is Memorial Day weekend. But as has been the case for a time now, and surely isn't getting any better, even those of us Americans who as people of faith look up up to God above, find ourselves in so many ways not at all indivisible, but rather deeply divided, including on matters of liberty and justice for all. Many of us being convinced that that is a promise that has been always more promising for white people than people of color, while others say that that view is just so much fake history and that these days the real group fighting their liberties threatened are white people, especially white men, especially if they happen to be gun owners. Memorial Day weekend, too, is a day when most of us think not only of our nation and those who've died serving it, but we also think of loved ones who've died. We think of how we miss them still. We visit the cemeteries if we can, their graves. We may think of the last time we saw them and how we were or were not able to say goodbye to them. We may, with gratitude, Think of how their love and their wisdom and their faith are alive still as they bless us still. Some of our cases, too, we may think of some painful things. Things we had wished we'd done or not done or said or not things said or things we wished they'd done or not done or said or not said. And then we long for this weekend again we pray for the healing grace of forgiveness and the healing grace to forgive. In our gospel text for this final Sunday of the Easter season, Jesus is saying goodbye to his loved ones and in doing so seeks to prepare them actually not just for his death, which will be the next day, but actually especially prepare them for what he calls his departure, 
is returned to the right hand of the Father in what will amount to 43 days from that night. I wonder if he wondered if those 43 days of, last 43 days of these three years that he would in the end be given with them, I wonder if he wondered if those 43 days would be enough. Like those of us who've ever watched a dear one of ours, who I'm telling you just yesterday was a baby in our arms, but who now, and how did this happen so fast? She's walking across a stage to get her diploma. And we're thinking to ourselves then, gosh, were those 18 years even enough to prepare her for the departure that's coming? Then you start thinking to yourself, but everything you still want to, my goodness, everything you still have to say to her before then, including some very practical things like checking the oil in the car and realizing that that number on the balance the balance sheet of that ATM receipt does not mean that's how much money there actually is because there are things called outstanding receipts which of course are really a part of your way of thinking to yourself I love her and I so want what is best for her and I don't want life to hurt her but then you look at her again and you realize she's not my little one anymore she grew up and it is time Time now to do the growing up that can only take place now on the other side of a goodbye. That time comes. You know, of course, that doesn't mean she won't make any mistakes, because why should she be any different than you? You hope she learns from her mistakes. You hope she experiences some grace and some kindness when she makes her mistakes. Of course, you also know that this big world she's stepping out into won't always be kind, because why should it start always being kind now? Which is why there's the other thing you do then. You've been doing it, but you do it with renewed vigor now. You pray. God, watch over her and hold her close to you, because I can't anymore hold her close to me. Jesus, on that 43rd day before the final goodbye he was readying his loved ones for, did not do the stereotypical guy thing and assume that his loved ones knew that he loved them because, after all, that's what he meant when he told them about ATM balances and checking the oil. No, Jesus was man enough and human enough to out loud tell them that he loved them. Then you do the very same thing that my mom did four years ago, this very time of year, the day before she died. He told his loved ones after he was gone to love one another. He didn't then. Perhaps even though he was Jesus, he couldn't tell them every single everything about the future they would step into in this not always kind world. He didn't tell them all the exact details of where their future of faith and faithfulness would lead them or what in each of their cases specifically faith and faithfulness would cost them. But come what may, he said, come what will. Remember everything I've told you. And remember that at the end of the day and at the end of all days, no matter what happens along the way, you and the future and forever are in my love's hands. So he said, don't be afraid ever. For through my triune sister, the Holy Spirit, I will be with you, as will my peace, which I give to you.
Which takes us to our reading for today, where Jesus now reaches that same point anyone who has ever loved reaches at some point, that being the point where the only thing you can do anymore, you've said everything you can say, the only thing you can do anymore is pray. And our text for today is the final portion, the final third of that prayer that he prayed for his loved ones that night, which also is the portion in which he actually extends his prayer to be a prayer not just for his loved ones, his followers who were with them then, but also for his loved ones, his followers, all of them who will ever be. In our text for today, in other words, Jesus prays for us and all others too who today call him Lord, and whom he calls his church. Heavenly Father, Jesus prayed, I ask not only on behalf of these who are here with me in this room, but also on behalf of all those who ever will believe in me, that they may all be one, so that all may believe. Two clear things, Jesus wants his followers, all of them, to be one. And two, his desire for such is not so that we could all sit here being all warm and fuzzy together as we sing, we are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord, followed by a refrain of kumbaya, while we, the world ignored around by us continues on its merry way to hell in a handbasket. No, his prayer was for unity in his church for the sake, not of just us, but for our mission, which is to bear witness to the world and to draw all, everyone in the whole world, to the healing and saving love of God. So unity in the church, how is that going? There are in the world those who call Jesus Lord and who say that my LGBTQIA plus friends are steeped in sin because of their LGBTQIA plusness. I say wrong. There are those in the world who call Jesus Lord who say that women and their voices are to be subservient to men and their voices and so women should surely not be pastors in Christ's church. I say wrong. There are those in this country who call Jesus Lord and who seem sure that scripture stands in uncritical hand-holding agreement with the platform of the Republican Party. I say wrong. There are in this country, to be clear, too, those who call Jesus Lord and who seem to think that Scripture stands in uncritical hand-holding agreement with the platform of the Democratic Party. I say, wrong. There's the overtly self-declared Christian candidate who ran last week in the primary for governor of Georgia with the company campaign slogan, Jesus, Guns, Babies. She and others are sure that Jesus today would be a gun owner, absolutely opposed to any so-called gun safety regulations. She finished third, but 41,000 Georgians, most of whom call Jesus, call themselves Christians, voted for her and her gun-loving Jesus. I say, I can't even. I can't even think of anything that in the name of Jesus could be more wrong. 
There are two in this country, those who stay far from the church or have left the church because the loudest words they've heard from the church are not the gospel and grace, but moralistic judgments from church people who seem sure and act sure that they are sure way better than them, which is why they're going to heaven, because of their way betterness. I say that those who say that are wrong and those who've been told that, like the young woman I talked to extensively on the phone last night, have been wronged. Then as well, too, there are those in this country who stay far from the church or have left the church because they've seen or maybe been caught in its fights about who's right and who's wrong and they want no part of it. I say that those who say that, of course, of course, have a point. Because sometimes, not because Christians disagree, but in the ugly ways they sometimes disagree, the church seems just like the world, which actually seems then that the church is worse than the world because you expected better from it. And yet Jesus prayed, and I believe almost 2,000 years later now is praying still, Heavenly Father, may my followers, my church be one, as we are one so that all may know you and me and our healing love for all. Somewhat randomly, but it got me thinking of prayers I've prayed in some cases for years that have just felt ignored, never answered, because what I've prayed for has never come to be which can leave you feeling sometimes some doubts about God or about your own faith. And which got me thinking, and this is possibly heresy, but I, you know, she and I dance sometimes. It got me thinking after nearly 2,000 years of praying this prayer for unity in his church, is Jesus ever discouraged? Does he ever even maybe doubt God the Father? or doubt his own faith, or doubt his own church, doubt his own loved ones, because this prayer of his feels unanswered or ignored? Probably not, I suppose, although even just thinking that thought, I felt a little closer to him, or probably more accurately, I felt him a little closer to me, like maybe he truly does get me. Thinking then that got me thinking about a few more things which turned out to seem helpful to me to think about in these divided times in which we find ourselves, not really only as a nation, that is what it is, but also as Christ's church, which is what it is. Got me thinking, first of all, about that reading from the book of Revelation, which uh, we've been reading from the book of Revelation throughout the Easter season. And though plenty of things in Revelation are not clear, especially if you start running around in its weeds, while thinking the highest level of truth there is, is literal truth, for several weeks now in a row, the book of Revelation has clearly told us one thing more than once, and that is that this prayer for unity will one day be answered, when at last the battle against all that is not of God will have been won, and all sin including my sin, will have been damned at last to the hell sin deserves, 
And people, people from all nations under God and all races under God and even all creeds under God will at last all know that God is God and Jesus is Lord. And around his throne at last won over by love all will be one. It will be. It will be. Will, of course, being future tense. It reminds me that even this prayer of Jesus, though surely to be answered, will be answered finally in God's time. Which then, well, though I may not like it, reminds me that my prayers, even my holiest and faithfulest prayers, and my best prayers will also be answered, but that answer too will be in God's time. It's got me thinking another thing. Jesus didn't, and here I may be going all heretical again, but I actually think maybe Jesus couldn't. In fact, I even think that in this world anyway, maybe even God can't force God's desires upon the wills of those who are prayed for, or for that matter, on the wills of those who are praying, or for that matter, upon the wills of us, the church, for whom Jesus prays. Because force and its twin siblings, bullying and coercion, are the sin-polluted ways of the world, whereas God is love, and love is never forced. It even by God can't be forced, because then it is no longer love. It is bullying and coercion. Got me thinking, and I've, I'm sure I've said this before, Pope Francis said, you pray for the hungry and then you feed them. This is how prayer works. By the way, we got a notice from the ELCA this week thanking Gloria Day for being one of the most generous supporters of world hunger, even during this time of pandemic when we couldn't do our regular noisy offering. You, keep, you people kept coming through. Prayers were being answered. In other words, what he said is that sometimes prayer accomplishes the good thing it does, not because of what God does after the prayer is prayed, but because what we do after we pray our prayer, which doesn't one bit whatsoever make prayer superfluous, but rather makes it more necessary than ever. Because, too, if we do what we do just on our own without prayer, we, time and again, will end up doing what we do which, of course, then brings us to the problem in the world which the Bible says is as old as fruit trees. That problem being the damned things we do do when the will being pursued is our own. Faithful prayers are prayed, on the other hand, in confidence that those prayers will find ways to change us who pray in the direction of what God would have us do like feed the hungry. Which got me thinking that therefore in the case of Jesus' prayer for unity in the church, surely there is included in that prayer the prayer that we who are the church might indeed do what is ours to do. We can't do everything, but what is ours to do here and now in the direction of a church that will one day be fully one with a oneness that is truly one, for the oneness it will finally be one with is, with, is the oneness of God's love.
which as I think about what actually trying to do that might here and now look like leaves me thinking these possibly random final things. Unity is not the same as uniformity. Uniformity insists that the proof of our unity be our sameness, our identicalness, our just like each otherness. True Christian unity, on the other hand, is found in our same Lord and is at its powerful and most beautiful best when he holds us together specifically in our not sameness or identicalness or just like each otherness. Two, too often what passes for unity is actually not unity amidst differences, but rather the silencing of dissent. Christian unity, on the other hand, is not found in silencing others. Christ's unity is found in prayerfully listening to others and then discovering what God can do with that. Which, by the way, won't happen if the only people I'm listening to and forming my opinions with are people who agree with me, which leads to my third thought. If the only friends you have are people you agree with, find a few more friends, or at least a few more people you talk to. If you lean left, find a friend who really, truly does believe that all life is sacred and a gift from God, even if yet unborn. If you lean right, find a friend who really does believe that claiming to be pro-life while once again doing nothing after yet one more mass shooting is just so hypocritical as is once again blaming mass shootings on mental illness while you continue to cut funding for mental health care. Which leads to my last thought, which is a thought for us as Gloria Day, which is actually a thought that gives me much hope because I see this happening. That thought is this, in this too often hatefully, partisanly polarized nation, a community of faith like, for example, Gloria Day, which faithfully and lovingly and respectfully and prayerfully could demonstrate a unity that is bigger than our disagreements, even our strong disagreements, that community, that congregation, we would be a gift from God to the world and to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To that end, let us end this sermon with Jesus leading us in prayer. Father, may all who know me be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be one as we are one, I and them, and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. Amen.